And today I want to talk about a heart set on eternity and how we navigate our way through what Jesus called the narrow gate. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and then you can turn it. Oh my. You could turn it over to Matthew chapter 7 and put your finger there. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3, they're going to put it on the screen. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. And then they're going to put up Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Holy Spirit, I ask you this morning as we posture ourselves to hear your word, that your word would grip our hearts and that we would hear and obey. And it is in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Before you're seated and as you're being seated, turn around and tell somebody eternity is forever. And you can be seated. I do want to take a moment just before I get into the word to address an issue that is coming to Ohio in the form of uh, voting next Tuesday, a special election for issue one. Uh, I want to, as a pastor, I, I think silence is one of the worst things that can be done when it comes to moral issues. Um, and, and I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me. I don't... You know, oftentimes when it comes to voting for people, people just vote down party lines. And, and that's not what this is about. This is about agendas that are trying to creep into our state uh, that have no godly basis and that are, that are evil agendas of man. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. I, I believe in my heart that everyone in this room, uh, most people in this room, pray. Do you pray? Throw your hands up if you pray. Do you pray and then let the Holy Ghost deal with you? Okay. So because you said yes, I want you to pray. And I want you to use your discernment. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you concerning this issue. Because it is an issue of morality. It's not an issue of politics. The, the talking heads on television are, are talking in politics. Uh, that's not what this is. This is an issue of morality and the agendas that are coming to the state. And so I'm going to leave it at that. I want you to pray about it. I want you to seek the face of God and ask him for discernment in this matter. How many of you understand that all of our gatherings, all of the things that we do are unto something more than just church? They're unto something greater than just church. And again, our theology, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, has led us into a place where we have a focus on the temporary and not on the eternal. And today, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to illuminate that this is a heart issue. We're going to continue our series, uh, uh, the third installment of our heart issue series. Week one, we talked about the heart and healing. 
and receiving healing for our heart. Week two, Pastor Forrest did an incredible job talking about the heart and people. Uh, how many of you have been challenged in your hard-heartedness this week and in your stubbornness? Just throw your hand up. Yeah, I love honesty. I, lo I just love honesty. How many of you have struggled in your people-pleasing this week? Just throw your hand up. Yeah, come on. And, and God who is able, he is able to keep you, he is able to help you. And so today I want to talk about eternity, but I want to remind you that I want to remind you of this point that we have been pulling out every week of this series, that if the heart is not right, nothing will be right. I'm going to say it again. If the heart is not right, nothing will be right. Y'all ready to jump into the word this morning? Let's go. So let's first talk about, I love that. Whoever just shouted like that, come on. I love it. Uh, let's talk the temporary or the eternal. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the scriptures leading up to our text today, we find a very prominent, popular poem from the book of Ecclesiastes. It is the time poem, and this is what it says, to everything there is a season. And I want you to notice this line here. A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant. A time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill. A time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace. A time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain, to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Every one of the above mentioned statements are statements that happen in the temporary. They are temporal statements. He said these are things that occur under heaven. So let's set this record straight. How many of you know that the earth is not going to be the earth forever? Come, come on. It's not going to be the earth forever. Heaven has been heaven forever and will continue to be so. So, so the, the preacher is what they call the writers of Ecclesiastes. They call him the preacher. Has identified that these are things that happen under heaven. And each one of them has a beginning. And each one of them has an end. The reality is we tend to make our lives completely revolve around everything in that list. Completely ignoring the temporality of that list. There's coming a time where there will be no more weeping. There will not be a time to mourn. There is coming a time there will be no more planting. We won't have to plant another day. There's coming a time where there will be no more killing. All of these things have an end. Their seasons have an end. Your life, hello, your life will have an end. The Bible said it is appointed unto man once to what? Die. 
It's appointed unto man once to die. James said it like this. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. It's a, this word vapor here means a smoke or a mist. Now I have a couple illustrations this morning. And, and, and I'm going to use this one first. A vapor or a mist. Because I, I want you to visualize how quickly life is going to fade away. We think we have all the time in the world. And we think that some days are long, some nights are longer. Some seasons are long and longer. But here's what I want you to realize. A vapor, here now, gone now. Here now, gone now. It comes and it goes. And what happens is we get so caught up in this, I couldn't hardly do a circle around it before it disappeared. We get so caught up in, in, in what people think about us. It's a vapor. We get caught up in our children being the best at the sport they're playing. It's a vapor. We get caught up about the lights and the screens and the sound and the, the, the avenue and methods by which the church moves and they're just vapors. There's, there's none of this in heaven. And none of this is in heaven because the lamb is the light. And, and, and so we get caught up in, well, it's, it's too bright, it's too dark, it's too loud, it's too soft, it's, they're not doing this quick enough, and they're not doing that, and they've got this going on and this going on. And, and, and at the end of the day, it's just a vapor. We get caught up in people liking us and people accepting us because we want to be inclusive and we want people to, 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 to love us. And, and, and here's the reality is that as a Christian, you're going to be hated. So the affirmation and approval of man is vapor. I've won trophies in my life. They're vapors. Come on. I've had accomplishments in my life. They're vapors. I, I've done some pretty cool things in my life. I've traveled the world. They're vapors. And at the end of the day, if I am more concerned about the vapors, I lose sight of eternity. That, that there is a forever on the other side. And I'm going to spend forever either in heaven with the one who died for me, we just sang it, or I'm going to spend eternity in hell that was created not for me, separated completely from God. That's the truth. And how we navigate the narrow gate will dictate how we spend eternity. And the reality is this, we will never be satisfied by this. How many, how many of you can say, like, once I thought I had a hold of the vapors, they disappeared? Anybody ever thought that? Like, once I thought I had a hold of this life, everything changed. Because it's a vapor. Once I thought I had it figured out, it disappeared. It's a vapor. And we will never be satisfied by temporal things because in our hearts, there is something much bigger than our lives. 
He has set eternity in our hearts. That's why we're not satisfied on earth. That, that is why there is such an interesting man has become so interested in the afterlife. We'll read it, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. He has put eternity in their hearts except that no one can find out the work that God has from the beginning. And, and, and so he starts with everything under the heaven and then he ascends into the heavens with the understanding that although we are under the heavens, God has placed eternity in our hearts. I want you to put your hand on your heart. Eternity's in there. There is a void in your heart that will never be satisfied until you reach eternity. And the, the only way that void is satisfied is if you reach eternity in heaven. If you reach eternity and you are in hell, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is pain forever. Some of you are like, Pastor, why are you preaching on heaven and hell? Because we've got to stop telling people that everybody's going to heaven. We've got to rid ourselves of the theology that good people go to heaven. Redeemed people go to heaven. Not good people. I can do all the good in the world. I, I can be as good as Mother Teresa, as good as Mahatma Gandhi. I can be as good as all those people and still go to hell if I've not been redeemed from my sin. That's, that's the Bible. That's what the Bible says. And, and, and so he, he, he says God's placed eternity in my heart. So let's talk about the eternal. Number one, the fact of it. Daniel Math Duncan Matheson prayed this prayer, so powerful. Lord, stamp eternity upon my eyeballs. Lord, stamp eternity upon my eyeballs. Lord, help me to see with eternal eyes. Help me to understand with eternal vision. Help me to look at people through the lens of eternity. That, that people are in need of Jesus because eternity exists. And we find the purpose of it. The purpose of it, he says, without which no man can see God. Eternity in the heart causes us to contemplate the character of God and his work. I told you a moment ago that this is all unto something more than just life and death. You don't just live and die. You live, you die, and then you spend eternity somewhere. I want to go to heaven. I want to see Jesus. And I want to take as many people with me as I can take. And you only do that when you recognize that you have got to have eternity stamped on your eyeballs. So the first purpose, the first purpose of, the, of eternity in our hearts is number one, a witness to the eternity of God. We become aware that he has been for eternity and will be for eternity. There's five things. Number two is a protest against worldly mindedness. If I live with eternity stamped on my eyeballs as it is stamped in my heart, I have a protest against being mindful about the world. I will not be deceived into thinking that there is anything in this world that, can, that the world can offer me that is better than heaven. I want to say something to somebody that has unforgiveness, bitterness, offense in your heart. 
there is nothing that is worth missing heaven for. Maybe you're not that. Maybe you just have a habitual sin that you haven't repented of. There is no fun. There is no glory. There is no enjoyment that is worth missing heaven for. So we have a protest against worldly mindedness. Third, we have an incentive to seek eternal things. Fourth, there's evidence of God's love. Who, who am I that he is mindful of me? That he would create, John, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven and was crucified and raised from the dead and ascended in John 14, he tells his disciples, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. Who am I that the Son of Man would go and prepare a place for me in eternity? It's evidence of God's love for me. Then number five, it is a warning against the neglect of salvation. I, you hear this phrase a lot from people who, who don't want to submit to righteousness and truth. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Anybody ever heard that? That's not the question to ask. Why would people choose hell over a loving God? And when you choose death, when life is available, you have been deceived. You have been deceived into thinking that death is better than life. And here is the sum of the matter. The, the, the scripture said in Romans that, that the wages of sin is death. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But the end thereof is death. God said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, he said, today, I lay before you life and death. And then he gave you the answer. It's an open book test. Choose life. So it is a warning against the neglect of salvation. It's the warning against the neglect of salvation. And Jesus describes this in a different way in the book of Matthew. He describes this as the narrow way. Everybody say the narrow way. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way to destruction. And there are many who enter by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. This word narrow Defined is, is defined as restricted by obstacles or challenges. This word wide is simply defined as without obstacles. Do you recognize that the devil will not keep you from going to hell? <laughs> you recognize how easy it is to sin? Because the devil knows how to get you to keep sinning. Oh, it's awfully quiet in this room. The way to destruction is wide. And there are many who find that way. And, and, and truthfully, that ought to break us. Truthfully, that ought to burden us that there are many who will find destruction when eternity comes. But narrow is the gate, and it is narrow, it is small, because it is restricted by obstacles. The devil will not keep you from going to hell, but he will sure try to stop you from getting to heaven. Hmm. 
A life lived with making an eternal decision must take into account the words of Jesus and the verses that follow these. And I want to see Jesus. Does anybody want to see Jesus? I've said it like three times. I I need a witness. Does anybody want to see Jesus? It's going to be worth it in the end. Come on, I know the trials of this life are difficult, but it's going to be worth it in the end when you stand before him and see with your eyes what you've sang about with your mouth. It's going to be worth it. I want to see Jesus, and I want to make it through the narrow gate. But there seem to be five obstacles that stand in the way of the narrow gate in the verses that follow Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Let's dive into them real quick. Number one, sorrows or tribulations. This word narrow can also be uh, translated into meaning tribulation or trials. How many of you know that suffering is a part of the godly life? I know it's one of those other things that we don't really include in our theology because we don't want people to think that Christianity is hard. The reality is the gospel is come and die. Come and die is the gospel. Lay your life down. Crucify your flesh. Let Jesus live through you. That's not easy. Sufferings and sorrows are an obstacle to getting through the narrow gate. And enduring difficulties is key in living with a heart set on eternity. Because when I go through sufferings, I will recognize that this suffering is not the end. This tribulation is not the end. This trial is not the end. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for, the con- it is for your consolation and salvation. Second Corinthians 4 and 8. Paul said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. First Thessalonians 3 and 4 said that we would suffer tribulation. Second Thessalonians 1 and 7, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. Second Timothy 3 and 12, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. And if the devil can convince you that Christianity is just roses and honey and all things sweet, then when real Christianity comes to your heart and home, you will be deceived. How many of y'all have been Christians, let's say it like this, let's just give a, a broad time, over, for, for, for 20 to 30 years, just throw your hand up, you've been saying 20, 30 years, throw your hand up. How many of you in that time period have experienced suffering and tribulation? Now all y'all that have been saved for like 10 years, keep your hands up y'all, all y'all that have been saved for like 5, 10 years, 15 years, look around. Every person who raised their hand that had been saved 20 to 30 years has experienced suffering and tribulation. Put your hand down. We are not exempt from tribulation and suffering. In fact, we are promised tribulation and suffering. It rains, the Bible said, on the just and the unjust. But, but, but here, here is what it looks like when you have an eternal perspective. A heart that has an eternal perspective recognizes that that the present trouble is worth nothing when compared to the glory that is to come. Paul said it like this in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing 
with the glory that be, will be revealed in us. This present trouble, this present suffering, this present pain is worth going through knowing that I'm going to see Jesus. Knowing that I, and the Bible said that suffering produces things in us. And when you have a heart that's set on eternity, you start to recognize the last half of verse 11 that, that without a heart set on eternity, no man can know the work of God from beginning to the end. If you have a heart that is set on eternity, you can recognize that from beginning to end, what God is trying to do in me is to create in me and to shape me into the image of his son. In the image of his son. Y'all don't, Jesus was the son of God and he suffered. What I'm trying to say to you is do not let your present trouble or trouble that is to come deceive you into walking away from the faith. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. So, so the, first, the first obstacle is sorrows. The second obstacle are specks. Everybody say specks. Specks. Matthew, verse, Matthew 7 verse 1 through 5, which in context is before Matthew 7, 13, and 14, where the narrow gate is talked about. How many of you know context is important in the Bible? Okay. So, so we're going to do some context today. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This word speck here means a splinter, and the word plank means a beam or a rafter. Now, I've got an illustration for you in a minute, but I want to just say this. Jesus is not simply saying, don't judge. Because how we read the Bible is, I, let me go back to it. How we read the Bible is, judge not, judge not. We don't actually read the entirety of the scripture. There is biblical precedence for rebuke. There is biblical precedence for judgment. What Jesus is saying is, when you judge, be careful. Because the same harshness and criticism you judge with, you will be judged with as well. And so don't, don't, let, don't let offended and bitter people convince you that judging is not a part of the scriptures. It absolutely is. Hello? It abs and you know, what the, you know who the judge is? It's Jesus. And you know what his constitution is that we measure ourselves up against? The Bible. So if you call yourself a Christian and you're not living up to the standard of the word, judgment is pretty easy. But for those of us who are also living that standard, we have to take consideration of our own life and am I living up to the standard of the word? Okay, so, so Gene, can I see that for a minute? Jesus said you try to go after the speck in your brother's eye, but you've got a plank coming out of yours. Pastor James, come here real quick. Here, here's what that looks like. I've got relationship. He's a brother in Christ. 
He's, he believes the same faith I do. And yet here I am trying to see the speck in his eye when I got a plank coming out of mine. You laugh, but this is how we operate. And a plank this big, you just stop me when I get too close. A plank this big dictates how close I can get to him. Some of you have no relationship because you got planks sticking out of your eyes. And you know what I can't see in him? When I've got this plank, I can't even look in his eye to see if he's got a speck. The truth is, most of the specks that I see when I look down this plank are from my own plank. Oh, it's awfully quiet in here. Is that I'm, I'm not, oftentimes, listen, a heart set on eternity recognizes that sometimes the speck I see in another can actually be a splinter from the plank in my own eye. I recognize he doesn't struggle with rejection, I do. He doesn't struggle with shame, I do. He's not unloving, I am. And what happens is, is we're, what we're trying to do, now you just hold this, you hold right there. What we're trying to do is we're trying to reach and point out the speck in his eye and we can't even get close enough to see. And so Jesus is saying, thank you, Jesus is saying, I need you to recognize that what you are trying to do is impossible. You are holding people to a standard that you're not willing to live out on your own. You are attempting to fix in others what you can't even fix in yourself. Y'all don't, don't, don't like this today. I see. It's okay. It's all right. Because some of us have been so good at judging others and we are heaping up judgment on the same level that we're dishing out. That ought to terrify some of us. The Bible didn't say not to judge exclusively. It didn't say not to rebuke. You see it all through the New Testament. But to be careful that you who judge don't have a giant plank sticking out of the side of your head. And what we do in our self-righteousness is we put the, we got the plank in our eye. And if I lined up about 10 of you in a circle and got you close enough, my plank starts to hurt other people. My, hurts, my plank starts to injure other people. And, and, and you know uh, us good old safe folk, we start to injure other people. I'm trying not to get a splinter in my eye. We, try, we injure other people with our plank and then we judge them for being injured. We injure them with the plank in our eye. We snap. We suffer with rejection so we don't get close and we reject people. We, we struggle with hard-heartedness so, so nobody can speak to us. We struggle with people-pleasing. We struggle with anger. We struggle with lust. And we're trying to have relationships, but the whole time we're just hitting people. And when they fall and they have a wound, we say, you need to get up. What's wrong with you? Can't you be a stronger Christian? When it was the plank in your eye that caused the pain in the first place. 
And, and so listen to me, listen. An eternal heart recognizes. I'm going to come close. There's nobody perfect. The, we have a perfect church. Mondays or Sunday starting at about 6 to Monday about 7.30. And then every night after that, pretty much the same schedule. You know why? Nobody's here. The moment you showed up, this stopped being a perfect church. The moment I showed up, this stopped being a perfect church. And we have got to recognize the gift of reconciliation, the gift of imperfection, that there is one perfect and he perfects us. I like this. He perfects us in the faith. Now I need to get rid of it before I hurt somebody. Are y'all with me this morning? He perfects us in the faith. And so if, if you are in a relational conundrum, you've got to check yourself before you attempt to check another. And if you check another, you have to be cognizant that the way you judge, you will be judged with as well. From an eternal perspective in Romans 14, Paul says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. I am not going to stand before God for you. And you are not going to stand before God for me. I am going to give an account of myself to God. I got enough problems to worry about right here. Come on. I got enough problems to worry about right here. Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Can I help you understand something? The way is narrow and difficult as it is. We need to stop making it more difficult for each other to get to heaven. Stop making it more difficult for each other to get to the narrow gate. Then, so we have sorrows, we have specks. Then the third, we have seduction. Matthew 15, or Matthew 7 verse 15. Watch out for false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. One of the chief points that Jesus makes clear in the scriptures is that the last days would be full of deception. Everybody say deception. Full of deception. I would submit to you that because I believe we are living in the last days, you can see deception everywhere. Everywhere. You see it in politics. That's why you need to pray before you go vote next week. You see it in church, in pastors. You see it in progressive Christianity. That tells you that God loves everybody and wants everybody to be happy and wants everybody to be what they are and live their truth. And that could not be further from God's actual heart and his desires. Deception is running rampant. And, 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 and the devil wants nothing more than to deceive you out of eternity with Jesus. Jesus. 
He said, beware of false prophets, they're ferocious. This word ferocious is translated to mean greedy or grasping for money. Just, let's just sit on this for a minute. I don't come with the intention to offend you, but I might offend some of y'all here in a minute. Greedy or grasping for money. Today, G Jesus said in Ezekiel, I've got a problem with the shepherds. And I, I, I believe that it is even so in this hour, Jesus has ought against the shepherds. He has something against the shepherds because true pastors, true sheep lay down their lives for their sheep. They, they give themselves, but today we have hirelings in our pulpits that want to get rich in ministry and they want to gain influence in the world in ministry. And, and do you understand that a hireling is going to do whatever it takes to make sure the money stays where it's at? So they won't talk about abortion. And they won't talk about homosexuality and the transgender movement. And how it is a blight and an offense against God. They won't talk about fornication and adultery in the pews from Christians who say they believe the Bible. Some of you like when I talk about abortion and homosexuality because that's not your sin. They don't talk about fornication. Sleeping with somebody you're not married to and how it is a sin. They don't talk about adultery, sleeping with somebody who's not your wife it, when you've been in covenant but you decide you're going to go out and cheat. They're hirelings and they, they, they want to encourage you but they never want to rebuke. Because they're afraid that at the rebuke, people are going to leave and people equal money. He said, beware of these people. Beware of these people. And I am convinced that God is looking for preachers who have a backbone. Because there's a whole lot, and listen to me. Listen to me. I know there is something about influence I, I don't know. I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers. I, I don't have the biggest church. So there's probably some things I don't know. But here's what I do know. God never called me to have hundreds of thousands of followers. He never called me to, to try to gain influence for the sake of getting rich. God called me to preach the word and to shepherd the people. And, and a good shepherd looks out for wolves among the sheep. Paul, when he was leaving Ephesus for the last time in Acts 20, he says to them, and I know when I leave there are going to be wolves that come in among you that try to steal what I have planted. Don't let it be so. And today it is so quick and easy to find false prophets and to find, and by false prophets, I'm not talking about people who say thus says the Lord and it's wrong. A false prophet in the New Testament is different than a false prophet in the Old Testament. I'm talking about wolves who are greedy and grasping for your influence and grasping for your money and grasping for your ear. I'm talking about people who will preach an encouraging word but will never tell you the truth. And, and so Jesus said you've got to watch out for seduction because you will begin to believe to a point that you will miss 
the narrow gate. You've got to identify the truth. 1 John 4, 1 beginning said, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are, for, whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is, from, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever God listens and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You've got to have discernment to recognize when a greedy, money-grabbing false prophet is trying to get you into seduction. You've got to have discernment. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing is submission. How many of you understand that submission is a big issue in the church? Submission to the Lord, to authority, submission in marriage, issues in the church. And what are they? They're heart issues. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have we not cast out devils? And in your name have we not done many wonderful works? And then I will say to them, I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. That is one of the most godly fear-inducing scriptures in the Bible. You've got to recognize something. Number one, we have to have a recognition of his lordship. The word Lord in the scriptures is translated from the Greek word kurios, which means master controller. His lordship is declared. How, Jesus said in, in, in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Why do you call me master and not do the things which I say? It, the, the way to navigate the narrow gate is by obedience. It's simple. It's by obedience. To navigate the narrow gate, you have to walk in obedience. How many of you understand that we have a, a, a generations, not a generation, but generations of believers who know Christ as Savior, but have not submitted themselves to Christ as Lord? He saved me, but does he control you? Does his word control you? Does what the Bible say control the way you think and live? Because if it doesn't, he's not Lord of your life. He's not Lord. Then there is relationship. Number one, in relationship, he's got to be first. Everybody say first. Colossians 1 and 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, or that he might be first. Here's the reality. Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. 
It's a heart issue. Isaiah 29 and 13, these people come near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is made up of the rules taught by men. Their heart is far from me. We are close with our lips. We are far with our heart. This is why when, when, when we talk about worship and, and we talk about how we worship in song, you can be close to God with your lips in singing, but your heart be totally disconnected from him. Because you Love for Christ and his word is not seen in how you sing, it is seen in how you obey. I know some of you came this morning, you said, I thought we were talking about heaven today, I was going to be happy. If you want to make it to heaven, you need to get happy about these things we're talking about because narrow is the way. You don't just say a prayer and then all of a sudden you're just going to bust in the gates of heaven. You're in warfare and the devil wants to deceive I'm sitting here looking at some of y'all, and you're like, man, what, why is he preaching like this? I want you to go to heaven. I want you to see it's not, you're not just going to walk through dandelion fields and walk up to the gate. You're going to walk through hell on earth to get there. But I am convinced, Paul told Timothy, that whatever I submit to him, he's able to keep the day of the Lord. Philippians 1 and 6, I'm getting carried off now. Philippians 1 and 6 said that he that begun a good work in you shall continue. Somebody shall continue. Continue to perform it. So yes, you're going to walk through trials. And yes, you're going to walk through pain. And yes, you're going to have planks sticking out of your eye. And yes, you're going to face seduction. But you're going to have to recognize I have got to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. So the reality is not everyone that says, Lord, but those who do the will of my Father. It's a decision I have to make. I am going to be obedient. I am going to walk the path of obedience. And here's the last thing, number five. It's an issue of surrender. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and do not, does not do them shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, it fell, and great was the fall. Here is the struggle. You're either going to hear what he says and do it, or you're going to hear what he says and not do it. If you choose not to, you are building a life on the sand. And houses built on the sand, great is their fall. Or you will hear what he says and you will do it. You will obey. You're saying, Pastor, what are you talking about? Hear what he says. You will read the word. You will get in the Word and realize that this book is more than just a guidebook for living on the earth. It is a map to eternity. And you will hear what he says and you will say, you know what, I'm not doing this. I need to do this. And those who do what he says, their house will be built on the rock. And when the storms come, the house won't fall. 
because it was built on the rock. And you say, Pastor, what is the difference between submission and surrender? Y'all come help me play. What's the difference between submission and surrender? Submitting is an issue of humility. I'm going to go as low as I can get. I'm going to get as low as I can, and I'm going to bow, and I'm going to say, whatever you will, I want to do. Surrender is when you have submitted, and you're still holding on to those things that he wants. And you say, Lord, you can have it. I hear what you're saying, and I want to do it. I hear what you're saying, and I won't deny. Lord, stamp eternity on our eyeballs this morning. And here, here's the last thing. We have eternal destinations. The narrow way that we've been talking about, how to navigate to the narrow gate, that leads to life. That leads to heaven. It leads to eternity with Christ. But the broad way, the wide way, the wide way leads to destruction. Not just the destruction of your life, but that leads you into eternity separated from Christ forever. Our theme text this morning in Ecclesiastes said he has put eternity in our hearts. He's put eternity in your heart. A longing, a desire for something more than this life. I want you to stand on your feet all across the room this morning.